few weeks ago, we began a series called, What Did Jesus Do? And so would you take your Bibles this morning as we continue this series, go to the book of 1 Peter in the New Testament. We're going to read there in just a moment. As you're turning there, let me greet our campuses that are joining with us today. My name is Eddie Couples, and I'm the lead pastor for Love and Truth Ministries. We're glad you're with us today. Wherever you are, we know that you've already experienced a time of praise and worship, that God's already ministered to you. But now we're going to go into the Word, and I want you to get ready to receive what God has for you. So wherever you are today, we believe that God has a Word for you and for your life and for your family today. So let's see what God's up to. The book of 1 Peter, the first chapter, uh, reading a couple of verses there, verse 18 and 19, says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by traditions from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Now, we begin to talk about this whole aspect of what did Jesus do. Now, we, we went through a series there uh, a long time back on what would Jesus do and how we should live our lives. But as we look at this, Jesus has already done some things on our behalf. So what are those things that he has done? And so as you begin to study Scripture, what you find is this. In the Old Testament, God sent a deliverer for his people. In the New Testament, God does the same thing. In the Old Testament, that deliverer's name was Moses, and he went into Egypt to bring the children of Israel out of bondage. In the New Testament, that deliverer's name is Jesus, and he has come for the same reason, and that is to bring us out of bondage. We all know the story of how that on that last plague uh, that Moses had been in this encounter with the king of Egypt, and that finally God said, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to release the death angel, and when he passes over, the first firstborn of every family is going to die. That's a horrible thing, but God said there's a plan that if you will slay a lamb and you will take that blood and you will pl place it on your, the lentils and the doorpost of your house, that when the angel sees the blood, he will pass over you. That's where the term Passover came from. The New Testament talks about that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, that he gathered together with his disciples to celebrate a Passover Seder or a Passover meal. Now, this had been going on for generations. This wasn't, you know, we kind of read that as Jesus takes the bread and he takes the cup, and we kind of read that and think that's something new. But I want to tell you, that had been going on for generations. God had said to the children of Israel, from this day onward, once the angel has passed by, from this day forward, once a year, you are to celebrate the Passover. Now, the Old Testament, there was a lamb uh, that was slain for each family. The New Testament says that Jesus Christ is our Passover lamb and that he was slain once and for all. And, and so we have that assurance today. And so as you look at that story there, what you find is, is that Jesus and the disciples gathered together and they begin the Passover meal. Now here's the deal about Passover. There, there's not just one cup. You know, when we gather together for communion, uh, we, you know, we do the nice little uh, trays and, and we have the little cups and sometimes we have the wafers separate, sometimes we have them together and we kind of do the deal and we do it all at one time. But the, in that time and in that day, there literally were four different cups that they 
drank during this meal. And each of those cups represented something different that God did on behalf of the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt. The first cup, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, the first cup is called the cup of salvation or the cup of sanctification. And it was all about God bringing them out of Egyptians' bondage. Now, I want to tell you, when you got saved, God brought you out of sin. Amen. Now, you say, well, pastor, I still sin. Yeah, uh, but you're not still a sinner. Right? There, there's a difference. We, we kind of all grew up with the understanding that we were poor old sinners saved by grace. Right? Come on, how many of you have heard that? I'm just a sinner saved by grace. But I want to tell you, according to Scripture, you are not a sinner if you're saved. You can't be saved and be a sinner at the same time. Now, I'm not talking about you losing your salvation. What I'm saying is, is it's in the same way. You can't be single and married at the same time. Don't try it. So if I'm saved, I'm saved. I may slip. The Bible says the righteous man falls seven times but arises again. I may, I may find myself in some difficulties, but I am not a sinner. I have been brought out of sin. So that's the first cup. The second cup that we talked about last week is called the cup of deliverance. In other words, God came to set us free. The Bible says this, Jesus said, whom the Son sets free is what? Free indeed. And so we've been given freedom. We talked about that last week. But the third cup that I want to talk about today is called the cup of redemption. In other words, here's the, here's the title today. I want to talk about being restored back, that Jesus came to restore us back to himself. The word redemption is a wonderful word. When, when you begin to study the word redemption, uh, it's, it's something that means to be placed back into its original condition, original place. We've all talked about and heard about, if you've been to church very many times at all, uh, you all know about the Garden of Eden. Genesis 1, 2, and 3 describes this wonderful garden that God created. Six days God spoke things into existence. He created this wonderful place. But on that sixth day, God looked around, and although the trees were there, uh, the animals were there, everything was there, and, and I want to tell you, it was paradise. You know, a lot of us try to go on vacation to paradise. You know, we go to the Caribbean, we go to the Bahamas, we go to Hawaii, we, you know, wherever it is that you think is paradise. But I want to tell you, what I found about all those places is it's not paradise. They just want all your money. <laughs> right? Uh, but this was literally paradise. And, and so what we find is, is that God looked around and said, there's something missing. And on that sixth day, God created man. And, and so man is placed in that garden, and God said, to, to Adam and Eve, he said, you have dominion. You have authority over everything. I am giving you the same right that I have over creation you have. And, and it's interesting how Adam and Eve live. We don't know if they live for 10 days or 10,000 years in that garden. Scripture doesn't say. It, it, it could have been millions of years. We don't know. Some, some of us all get all stressed out about aspects of, uh, you know, creationism versus evolution and all that. And I want to tell you, God's God, and however long he left them in there, it's fine. Right? But what we know is, is that there, there was that day that, that Adam and, and Eve are kind of just hanging out doing their business. And, and all of a sudden, Eve is off by herself. Now, God has only said one thing's off limit. The whole garden is yours, one thing you can't have. And, and Eve is out there, 
And all of a sudden, this snake comes along. Now, I don't know about you. I hate snakes. Am I the only one? The only, somebody says, well, it's not poisonous. Listen, the only snake I like is a dead snake. Uh, they're all bad to me. So if you've got a pet snake, don't invite me to your house because I might shoot it, all right? I, I just don't like snakes. You know, I'm, I'm kind of like Jim Stafford in the 70s. I don't like spiders and snakes, all right? It's just not what I enjoy. And, and yet when you read that story, have you ever read things in the Bible and go, that's weird? Am I the only one? Y'all haven't been reading your Bible much, I can tell. You know, you read that story there, and, and Eve's just kind of hanging out in the garden, and all of a sudden the serpent shows up and starts this conversation. Now I want to tell you, that's freaky. I mean, not only do I not like snakes, but if a snake starts talking to me, I'm out. I mean, I'm gone, Jack, right there. They don't, you know, where do they want a door? They'll have one. I'm gone. And, and yet Eve just gets in this conversation. And I've looked at that for years and gone, what is that about? I mean, why wasn't she, you know, did the snake talk all the time? No. Here's the deal. Can you imagine living life and not having any fear? See, that's why it didn't mess Eve's world up. Eve did not know what fear was. And the Bible lets us know in the New Testament, perfect love cast out what? Fear. The Bible says God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. That's why Eve, she didn't think anything about it. She, she does not know any fear in her life. We all know the story. The tree, don't touch, don't eat. They touched, they ate, the whole process. And mankind lost his dominion. And yet Jesus Christ came to redeem us. Jesus Christ came to put us back in our original position, in the place that we ought to be. Now, it, it's kind of like the whole deal. I, I'll be real spiritual with you for a moment. How many of you have watched the show Pawn Stars? Not Porn Stars. We're not preaching about that today. How many of you have watched Pawn Stars? Those guys from Las Vegas. Okay. Uh, it's interesting to me to watch. Now, I worked in a pawn shop years ago on a couple of different occasions of my life, and so I understand the whole process of, of pawn shops. And, and here's the deal to, to help us understand in our, in our society. What you do is you have something of great value. Let's say you have a wonderful painting in your home, and all of a sudden you're tight and you can't make you know, the, the house payment or whatever, and so you take this down to the pawn store, and you give it to them, and they give you X amount of dollars, and they give you a ticket. 90 days later, you are to come back in, and you are either to redeem it, to, to pay them the amount that they loaned you plus interest, or at least pay the interest for another 30 days, 60 days, or whatever. And, and so that's the, the picture of what Jesus did for us. And so the, you, you, you pawned it, but you go back in, and what you do, and it's, that's what it's called, is that you redeem back to your home what was originally yours, and you place it back in the same place. And so if you've taken a wonderful painting, you've pawned it, you go in, you redeem it, what do you do? You take it. You don't leave it there. 
you take that painting and you put it back in the original place in your house where it used to be. Jesus Christ came to this earth to redeem us, to take us back from the enemy, and to put us back in the original place where we used to be. Now, that is what Jesus did. But how many of you know that as wonderful as that is, that you and I have to respond to what Jesus did? It's kind of like that whole dating thing. How many of you remember when you used to date? Man, people are nervous. They're going, don't know how to answer this one. I know, I know most of you are married now and you're afraid to raise your hand because you're afraid she's going to ask you who it was. <laughs> All right. Okay. But, but here was the deal. On the guy's part, usually, and I've known some others, but on the, on the guy's part, the guy would go up and, or call or, you know, now text or Facebook, whatever you want to do, and, and they would say, uh, hey, would you like to go out? Now, that was their responsibility. It was up to the lady to respond back whether or not she wanted to go on the date. It's kind of like when you got ready to get married. You know, you could have asked her father, and he said, okay. And In fact, when I asked uh, uh, my father-in-law about Sherry, he said he wondered how long it's going to take me to get her. You know, this is kind of like, how long has it been? And so uh, that, that whole process there. But, but when, you, when you understand that you can do all those things, you can have the ring, you can, you can get down on one knee, you can have that, you know, the roses on the table, all the stuff. But when you say, will you marry me? right there's got to be a response back in the affirmative if it's if this thing is going to go forward now it's the same way with us Jesus Christ came to redeem us to set us back into our original place but it's up to us whether or not we ever live up to our potential so go to the book of Matthew. I want to give you four things you got to find this morning to get to that place uh, of living up to your potential, although Jesus Christ has already redeemed us. Matthew, the 16th chapter, and the 24th verse, and we're just going to stay right there uh, as we continue the sermon this morning. It says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself or herself and take up their cross and follow me. Now, watch, watch this. The first thing that has to happen, if I want to be restored to the position that I need to be in, number one is I have to find a new purpose in life. I, I've got to find a new reason for living. Jesus said, if you desire to come after me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Now, I want to tell you, that's not fun. Y'all all right? I, I'm, I found out through the years that I don't like to deny myself. I enjoy indulging myself. I mean, if there's pie, I like pie. You know, if 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 that, you know, th this whole thing about denying—it's tough. That's why I'd rather pick up the remote than go to the gym. Am I the only one? Come on. You know, dieting. Why, why is dieting a, a multi-billion dollar industry in America? Because we always think there's going to be a, you know, a, a quick cure. There's going to be something. And, and it really all comes down, and we all know this, you just have to eat less and exercise more, right? You don't have to buy another book. 
Jenny Craig, you don't have to go. Weight Watchers, you don't have to weigh. What's wrong with y'all? Eat less, exercise more. Our problem is, though, we want to watch one of those late-night infomercials that says if you'll take this pill, if you'll wear this belt. <laughs> I'm not even going to ask you how many of y'all are dumb enough to buy one of those. <laughs> You're going to have a six-pack. I heard one guy say, you know, he said he used to have a six-pack, now he's got a keg. But anyway, th th there's this whole aspect of denying ourselves. And so in the kingdom of God, it, it's not any longer what do I want to do. I have to find a new purpose, and that is I've got to deny what I want and begin to live for what God wants. And so I, when I get that purpose, then I begin to live at a different level. Look in verse 25 and 26. It says, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit? Is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? So number one, I have to find a new purpose. Number two is I have to find a new perspective in life. All right? Scripture says that I've got to quit trying to save my life. Now, I don't know about you, but I find that I like to protect myself. Now, I mean... There are a lot of us who are germaphobics, right? I mean, you know, you, you, you carry industrial-sized hand sanitizer everywhere you go. Why? Because we're trying to protect ourselves. We don't want to catch what everybody else is catching. And I'm, I'm all for that. In fact, one of the last things I do before, after I walk in here after shaking everybody's hand is I hit the hand sanitizer. Because I know that y'all got all kind of stuff. <laughs> and I won't be healthy, all right? So I understand that. I mean, self-preservation is, is pretty powerful in our lives. And yet the Word of God says that we have to come to that place where we have a new perspective. And that is that we've got to be willing to lay our life down. H have you ever been around someone, let's say maybe it's a missionary, somebody who's going to a foreign field, and you just look at them and go, how can you do that? How can you leave here? How can you do that? But a person who really understands that they've given their life to God, if God calls them to do that, they really don't think it's a sacrifice. In fact, I'll tell you something, and listen carefully to what I'm going to say. Anybody who talks about how much they're sacrificing have never understood the reality of laying their life down. I mean, I hear people all the time talking about how much they gave up to get saved. Most of you gave up the penitentiary. <laughs> you know, alcoholism, cancer. I mean, you, you know, you gave, that's what you gave up. Come on, real, really. You know, you, you gave up, you know, cruising down the street here trying to find another hit of crack. I mean, what, what, what did we give up? And yet then we get into the kingdom of God, and, and all of a sudden we, we try to, well, this life, it's so wonderful. No, no, no. We've got to come to a new perspective in life. If I really want to be restored and live up to my potential in the kingdom of God, then I've got to have a new perspective. And so if God shows up in my life and says, I want it all, okay, it's yours anyway. See, that, that's, the, that's the problem people have. 
People don't have problems with money. People have problems with trust. See, when we, when we bring our tithes and offering into the storehouse, we're just saying, God, I trust you. When, when we can't do that, we're struggling with this trust issue. And so it's the same way in every aspect of life. God shows up in your life and says, I want you to do that. And we go, oh, I can't do that. That's too big a sacrifice. Wait a minute. God showed up in Abraham's life and said, Abraham, go and offer your son, your only son, Isaac. Now, I'm going to tell you, I, I would argue. I mean, really? My son? I mean, there's been days I've wanted to kill him, but. Come on, Lord, what, what's up with this? We don't, you know, you, this is the promised one. This is a, and, and yet Scripture doesn't talk about any dialogue. It just says, and the next morning Abraham arose with his servants and Isaac, and they went, and, I, and three days later they get to the mountain, and the Scripture says, Isaac says, hey, Dad, uh, here's the wood, here's the fire, but where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says, the Lord will provide a lamb. Hebrews says that in the mind of Abraham, he had already slain Isaac because he knew the promise that God had made unto him. Now, when, when we come to that place of living with a different perspective, we're able to be restored back to what God has for us. But not only do we need to do that, look in verse 27. Verse 27 says, For the Son of Man will come in the, in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his, what's that last word? works now we have gotten so caught up in christianity afraid of works salvation is not of works lest any man should boast it's through faith by grace i understand that i'm not talking about salvation but the word of god clearly says that we are going to be rewarded according to our works so the third thing i've got to find is i've got to find a new path now, what do I mean by that? I've got to begin to do what God has called me to do with everything that is within me. You know the Bible says to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling? The Bible talks about that you are to do good works so that men will see your works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And we have gotten so afraid in Christianity of, of legalism and works-based religion that we have forgotten that there is a path that God has called us to walk on, and that path is to work for the kingdom of God. The disciples showed up one day and said, Lord, what's about all these people? And Jesus said, lift up your eyes and look on the field, for they are white, all ready to harvest. He said, but the laborers are what? Few. And then he gave us that great prayer. In fact, it's the high priestly prayer of Jesus. He said, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers, workers into the harvest field. Each and every one of us are called to work for God. If I will find that path of beginning to work for God, not for my salvation, but because I have been saved, then I will find myself in a place of restoration that God has for me. And so I am living day in and day out of my life to say, God, what is it that you want me to do today? How should I live? How should I conduct my life? Well, pastor, I came to church. Isn't that good enough? No, God's called you to do more than that. 
God has equipped you to do more than that. God has given gifts into your life that you are to use, not just on Sunday morning when you come to church. But he has given gifts into your life that you are to use day in and day out. And as you are working for the kingdom of God, then people are going to see your good works and they're going to glorify your Father who is in heaven. So don't be afraid of works because it is a path that God has called us to go on. Look in the 28th verse. Verse 28 says, Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now, Jesus is speaking there about the coming of the kingdom of God. And he says, some of you are not going to die until you see this. And, and they get in this theological discourse that Jesus really does not answer. But the whole deal is, is that there was going to be the coming of the kingdom of God uh, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was coming to earth when Jesus was resurrected. And, and so what he is doing is, is that Jesus is giving them a promise of what's going to take place. So the fourth thing that we've got to find today to live in that place of restoration is that we've got to find a new promise. Now I want to tell you, a promise can motivate you to do things. How many of you have ever raised children? How many of you have ever wanted them to clean their rooms? And you've said to them, hey, if you'll clean your rooms, we'll go and we'll take you to McDonald's or we'll go to the Toys R Us or whatever. And that promise motivates them. Now, you may go in later and look under the bed, and the majority of it has been stuffed under the bed, but at least you can walk through the room, right? And, and so in our lives... It's, it works the same way. See, Jesus understood the whole aspect of reward. People get upset a lot of times uh, when they read the Scripture and somebody talks about uh, if you give, you will get. And they say, oh, that's the wrong incentive. That's the wrong motive. Well, I'm not the one who set that up. God set that up. If you put a seed into the ground, that seed is going to produce a harvest. That's God's reward. That's God's promise. Now, his promise to us is, is that there is an eternity that all of us are going to face and that there is a place of reward and there is a place of punishment. The place of reward is called heaven. The place of punishment is called hell. And both of those are realities if you believe the Word of God. Amen? I don't care what the books say that are being written. I don't care what is being preached. In fact, I don't know if anybody else is concerned. Maybe I'm getting to the point of my life I look back at a lot of things. But the more I look at life right now, the more I see what's coming out of Christianity, I am very concerned that we no longer have anything that's a sin. There are no sins. There are problems. There are weaknesses. There are difficulties. But there are no sins. And yet in Scripture, there are sins. And, and the Bible says, the soul that sinneth, it shall surely, what? Die. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And so when, when I begin to understand that, when I begin, not in the sense of, you know, people say, well, they're so heavenly minded, they're of no earthly good. You know what? I have never met that person. Because a true person who sets their affections on things above and not on the things of this earth are living to please the Lord. 
And if I am going to please the Lord, the way that I please the Lord is by ministering to his children. And so if I really am heavenly minded, then what I am doing on this earth is trying to make a difference in someone's life. But there is a promise of an eternal reward that you and I have been given the right to achieve. But it's up to us whether or not we are going to receive what God has. So the kingdom of God is in the future, but the kingdom of God is also in the present. It's not just about the sweet by and by. It's about right now. So God has redeemed us not just for one day over there, but God has given us the authority and the power to live an overcoming life. John 10.10 says, The thief comes but for to kill, to steal, and destroy, but I am come that you can have life and you can have it more abundantly. That's what Jesus Christ came to give. And so when we begin to understand that, we begin to focus on a new promise. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to live up to what Jesus has already done. If Jesus has already redeemed me, this cup of redemption has been given to me, and he is restoring me, then I want to live up to my potential. The one thing that I found in school, uh, I, I, uh, if, if I were to be in school today, they would diagnose me with something. You know, ADHD, ADDDDDDD, I mean, something. I, I would have, you know, they because uh, it wasn't that I couldn't, it was that I wouldn't. Right? And it's it seemingly one of the favorite refrains that I would see on my report card from, from teachers throughout my life was something on this order. Eddie is not living up. To his potential. My deal was, if it wasn't an elf, I was good. <laughs> because if I graduated, they weren't going to know if I was in the top 10 or the bottom 10, and I could care less at that point. Now, I've gotten better. I'm doing better, all right? But, but it was, it was kind of that life. And, and there are a lot of us who I think God, if he were to grade us today, he would have to say, not living up to their potential. It's not that we can't, it's that we aren't. And so my challenge to us today is, look, what did Jesus do? He redeemed us. He brought us back. He placed us back up in that place of prominence again. But it's up to us whether or not we ever live up to our potential. And so I challenge you. Look at your life. Look at the things that are happening in your life and say, you know what? I'm going to find a new purpose. I'm going to begin to look at life from a different perspective. I'm going to begin to walk a path that's a little different. And I'm going to believe God for a promise that is so much greater than anything this world can give. Because I have been given the right to be called a son or a daughter of God. And that's how I'm going to live. Come on, let's thank the Lord for that.